Well, my name is Mike Lotzer. I'm a pastor from Faith Covenant. Some of you I know, some of you I don't. I'm absolutely honored to be here, though. I'm excited that we're doing a Relay of Sorts sermon series. Pastor Rob is preaching at Faith this morning, and uh, frankly, it's just fun to, to be here. So I want to start this morning off by just up front saying we're talking about anxiety. And so just by way of mental exercise, would you think of a time in your life when you would say your anxiety level was up here? You were consumed even with worry or fear, frustration. Maybe it was uh, something to do with your job or your future or a school career or a large decision. Maybe it was a relationship. Perhaps it was a financial thing. Maybe it was a medical result or lack thereof of a result. Uh, whatever the scenario was, do you have that in mind? Some of you don't have to think hard. Some of you carried something in today and you're saying, hey, I'm up here right now. Life, if you could read kind of my mind and my heart, has, has put my anxiety to the absolute max. With that in mind, I want to go to uh, scripture and I'd like to talk today about a relationship between two words. Casting, as in cast all your anxiety unto God. We've heard that scripture in the New Testament in various places. And this other world word that we are all too familiar with, controlling. Casting versus controlling. As in grabbing the reins of your situation and trying to bring some order, trying to alleviate that anxiety. That's what we're talking about. And we're going to, uh, to start here. If we can uh, uh, get back to slide one here. We're going to start in 1 Peter. I'm reading from the NIV translation. 1 Peter 5, 6 through 7. Feel free to follow along on the screen if you don't have your own Bible. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Would you read that part in yellow on the screen together in a nice loud voice? Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Right off the bat, I'd like to just make an observation. Controlling is our natural response to anxiety. I I know this is true because I've seen it be the case on both spectrums at the very beginning of life and at the very end of life. You see, I have a four-month-old son named Isaac. We're pretty proud of Isaac. He's here uh, enjoying the message, hopefully, taking notes, right? And Isaac, if you startle him in any way, if something isn't as he expects it, what does he do? He grabs, right? And have you ever noticed how hard it is to trim baby fingernails? It's like impossible, and so they get jagged, and he has a tendency to grab my nose. Uh, And when he's startled, I I just get these little, it looks like I'm very um, unskilled at shaving my face, you know? (laughs) Because he'll just grab onto my face to try to get some sense of control when life stresses little Isaac out. You see, but I do a lot of funerals. I did a funeral on Friday for a man who's 54 years old, found out he had pancreatic cancer six days earlier. Six days later, he died. And in those moments of life, I had the opportunity to pray with this man, a friend of mine, and, and to hold his hand in the days leading up to that. And can I just describe for you the grip as he held my hand. It wasn't a light grip. 
And we know why. Because death is a scary thing for all of us. There's unknown there. Change, certainly change like that, stresses us out. And so from the moment we're babies to the moment we are considering our life ending and we are having to put our trust in an eternal reality with God or a lack thereof, depending on our faith and our worldview, we try to control. And I want to say that um, I know something about you. It's true about you and it's true about me. Controlling, grabbing onto life situations, it can look like active and passive control. If you're taking notes, feel free to write active and passive and do a little self-inventory, if you would. Because whether it's active or passive, at best it just manages anxiety in our life. Uh, and help me think a little bit. Active, controlling attempts to manage anxious situations. For me, it's working out. I went on a run this morning. I run most mornings before I preach because I don't want to preach with anxiety, and so there's a, a self-regulation that comes with exercise for me. So it's a good thing. It's not, I'm not saying... Uh, managing our anxiety is a bad thing. Some of you, uh, to the tune of 18% of the American population, struggle from debilitating anxiety disorders. It just freezes life up for you. And so there might be even wisdom in going on some medication for anxiety. And that can be part of a treatment plan. That would be an active way. Some of you, uh, your spouse would say, when she or when he is stressed out and anxious, the house all of a sudden gets really clean. Anyone relate to that? You know, you are stressed out and all of a sudden it smells like pine salt. Yeah? My wife and I both kind of have this gene. We cleaned the house from top to bottom yesterday in response to some anxiety. Now, that's the active side. What about the passive side? Have you ever gone for a drive when you're stressed out? There's a a freedom in just getting away uh, from wherever you were. And managing the anxiety with that. What about those who, man, life is hard, life is heavy, I'm just going to take a nap. <laughs> I just have to reboot the hard drive here. Or I'm going to go to bed early. and It'll be better in the morning. We, you know, we even have um, beverages for active and passive control of anxiety. Think about it. You're anxious, you need to get a lot done, have a few cups of coffee. Pop, soda, right? Caffeine up and, and do what you need to do. A lot of people... A lot of us here will use and even abuse alcohol to passively get away from our anxiety. This is too hard to deal with, so I need to drink and drink and have another drink. This needs to be numbed. I can't think about this anymore. So I would say there's some healthy ways and some less healthy ways to deal with our anxiety. As you do a little self-inventory, you probably are noticing you have a personal strategy of dealing with anxiety, and that's okay. But what scripture is telling us this morning, Restoration, is this simple fact. Don't miss this if you're taking notes. Casting is the only, the only behavior that can overcome our deepest anxieties. Casting our fears, our worries, our frustrations, our deep anxiety into the arms of the Creator is the only way we can actually overcome anxiety. You see, you can be very good at managing anxiety, and I would recommend you become skilled at managing anxiety because life requires that skill set. But for followers of Jesus Christ, 
it goes beyond management. I know that's true because the man who wrote the letter, the scripture that we read together, his name is Peter, he had an anxiety-ridden life, if you think about it. Certainly when he wrote that letter at that time, he was being persecuted. The movement of followers of Jesus that he was leading was being persecuted. And when I say persecuted, I don't mean, I don't know if we're going to find place to store the trailers and the, you know, who's going to set up the chairs this Sunday. I mean, if we catch you and you say Jesus is Lord, we're going to throw you into a pit with a lion. And that's kind of what our culture will see as entertainment as you, as you die. In fact, Peter, who is just, his life is marked with joy and peace and poise, would actually go to his death, crucified, upside down, with that kind of peace, with that kind of anxiety-free behavior. And so, from the hand of a man whose life is that heavy, I'm left to assume that we can learn some things about what do you mean, Peter, when you say casting? Uh, To illustrate that, I want to suggest that um, casting, the definition that maybe Peter would put forward in the writings that I've kind of looked at, perhaps Peter would, would say casting is something like this, the act of thankfully throwing one's anxiety, one's fears, frustrations, to the all-loving, all-powerful God of the universe through prayer. It's not that complex, in other words, Peter says. This is total abandonment of all of our stuff to God in prayer. But there is some skill involved. There's some basic skills, some basic beliefs. And um, to, to convince you of that, I want to show you something. Um, you see, when I was in third grade... I had a teacher who uh, taught us how to fold paper airplanes in class. Great use of tax dollars, I'm sure, right? But ever since then, I've been kind of fascinated with paper airplanes. And when I think of the word cast, that's where my mind goes, casting a paper airplane. I, I picture, in moments of anxiety, throwing my cares and my concerns to God. But the unfortunate reality is we're not very good at casting in general. And I think one of the reasons why is we don't do it very often. It's not, a, it's not a very daily skill for us. We don't put a lot of thought into it. In fact, I think if you were honest with your own life, and if I was honest with my own life, by the time we come to make our paper airplane and cast our cares, our worries, our concerns, it looks something like this. It's a big honking airplane. And... Maybe this was you on the way to church. You've ever been there on the drive to church? You're so frustrated, you're fighting with whoever you're coming with. And then you're like, you've got to start acting holy. They, you know, they're going to question if we, if we actually believe this stuff. You know, we'll pick this up later, right? And then, okay, we should pray, you know. Dear God, take all this stuff. Da, 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 da. It's like we wait for all of it to build up. How am I going to pay for that? We could write in Sharpie marker here. Why in the world do my children not come with an instruction manual? <laughs> They're really difficult to understand. Why am I so concerned with how I look all the time? Why is that such an obsessive thought? Why, even though I've eat, eaten right, taken care of myself, done everything, did the test results come back with that? 
What am I going to do now that I have cancer? What am I going to do now that it's final? I'm divorced. How do I handle this dysfunctional marriage? Especially in light of the fact that everyone around me thinks everything's fine. Except for me and her. Me and him. What would you write on this big airplane? Now, in, in your case and in my case and all of our cases, I'm sure there would be some big things like cancer on here, but I'm sure there'd be some small things too. Why do they still sell Oreos that are not double stuffed? <laughs> Seriously. We bought the wrong pack, and I can't eat these. The ratio of cream to cookie is all off, right? It sounds trivial, but, you know, a few of these combined, the, the plane gets bigger. You understand the point, but by the time our anxiety reaches a certain point and we let it build up, this is what our prayer life looks like. Oh, God, please! And then what happens? Gosh, I don't really feel any better at all. (laughs) Well, I tried the prayer stuff, so I guess I better just go back to better management of my anxiety. Maybe, Maybe I need to escape. Maybe I need to deny this. Maybe I need to just watch one more episode of reality TV to escape my reality. Maybe I need to take one more drink. Maybe I need, you fill in the blank. Maybe I just need to worry One person said it like this, worry is like sitting in a rocking chair. There's a lot of movement, but you're not going anywhere. I think there's a better way. I think Peter shows us the better way. So if you're taking notes, just just hear this. Like folding a paper airplane and throwing one, casting our anxiety on God requires some basic beliefs and skills. And I have four very quick observations I'd like to talk about. In your uh, bulletin, there is a template looks like this. It's how to fold a paper airplane, just in case uh, you don't know. And, and some of you, if you aren't rule followers, you probably already folded it, and that's okay. We love you too. But for those of you who haven't yet folded that, it says my blank. And I'd like you to be thinking as I go over these observations, what is your thing that you carried in? What is that piece of anxiety? Maybe it is a relationship. Maybe it is finances. Maybe it's future unknown or knowns. Maybe it's a deep disappointment. Maybe it's a deep insecurity. Be thinking about that as we talk about this. But I think that not all casters are created equally, and I think that's true because ESPN convinced me of it. That's right. In 2012, ESPN ran an article, and they, uh, they cast, <laughs> no pun intended, they highlighted a guy named Jim Collins, who is a professional nerd, He's in his 50s, and he never grew up. He's like a 10-year-old boy that's still a 10-year-old boy. He wanted desperately to break the world record, the Guinness Book of World Records, for how far one can throw a paper airplane. And he tried for years. It's 207 feet, by the way. It's kind of far. He found out eventually, even though he'd studied aerodynamics and he understood the folds and, and, and he understood you know, the regulations of a small-size airplane and he could, get, he could make the perfect plane, he needed a stronger arm, so he enlisted two NCAA quarterbacks, one from Washington State, one from Cal. And Joey uh, Ayub, he was the guy who uh, took over for Aaron Rodgers at Cal, was the one 
who did it for him. He put both these quarterbacks on a regiment of 50 throws a day with his airplanes. And then he got ESPN to come in. And there's very strict rules to set a Guinness Book of World Records in anything. They said only 10 tries. Only 10 tries. Try number three, Joey Ayub. You can YouTube this if you want when you get home. He successfully threw it 246 feet. Wow, shattering the previous world record and bringing the dreams of a 10-year-old boy who happened to be in his 50s uh, to life, right? (laughs) But I think these guys can teach us something. Not all casting technique, not all casting um, efforts and folding efforts of this are created equal. So the four quick observations I'd like you you to wrestle with that I'm wrestling with are these. Basic beliefs and skills for casting my anxiety onto God. One, I believe God is truly caring. It says here, 1 Peter 5, 7, cast all your anxiety on him because he what? He cares for you. And we read that and we hear that scripture, especially if you grew up in the church and it just kind of washes over you. Do you realize what that says? The God who created the galaxies, this entire universe, not only does he know who you are, he cares deeply and intimately for you. Personally cares for you. You see, some of you, in your attempts to cast your anxiety on God, the airplane has not gone very far. And it's not because you've waited and let it all build up. That's one way to to not throw well. It's because you can't, in the deepest recesses of your heart, say that you believe God cares for you. Maybe something happened early on in life, something terrible, a tragedy Maybe you were abused. Whatever it was, you saw some injustice in the world and you say, I don't know that I can believe God cares for me because that was allowed to happen to me or to him or to her. Friends, I I can't tell you how it all weaves and works together. I don't want to minimize your experience at all. But might I just suggest that your airplane will only go as far as how much you can confidently say, God cares for me. And when you pray and when you try to cast this on God, it simply doesn't work if you don't believe he loves you and cares for you. You sabotage yourself in your own efforts. The second basic belief for casting our anxiety on God is is like the first. It's different. I believe God knows what he is doing and that he can do anything. In short, if you're taking notes, God's competent. Some of us, we actually have no problem believing that God cares. In fact, we have this really sweet, grandfatherly uh, God figure in our mind. And he's cuddly and he's nice, Santa Claus-esque, right? But he's not very powerful. And maybe for the same reasons, we look at injustice, we look at pain in the world, and we go, if you were so powerful, God, how could you allow that to happen? And here's something I think we all must wrestle with. Humble yourselves, humble ourselves, therefore under God's, what? Under his mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety onto him because he cares for you. Not only does God care, church, God is competent and he has a mighty hand. And if you don't believe that, you will sabotage your own ability to cast your anxiety onto God. Now, if you don't believe it, I get it. I get it. God, where are you? If you're so powerful, why aren't you working it together? 
the Christian tradition says that he works all things, even the things that break our heart and break his heart together towards a renewing purpose. Now, I can't understand how that works, but here's the thing. That's perfectly okay because I'm terribly underqualified for the job description of God. I'm not competent enough to weave all those things together. There's a place in the scripture where he's talking to Job, a man who was suffering and questioning God's power. And he says to Job, he says, where were you when I set the universe into its foundation, Job? Where were you when I spoke into being all of this? In other words, remember who you're talking to. I love you more than you can ever ever imagine, more than you can ever grasp, more than you'll ever love anyone or be loved by anyone. And I am more powerful than, than any force on the planet because I made the planet. The planet is in the palm of my hand. I am in control. I have not walked off the job. I can do what I say I'm going to do. And when I say I work it all for good, I will. That's ultimately a trust position, isn't it? especially in the tough times. When I held my friend's hand this week, as the news came that he had days, not weeks, days to live, was that a trust statement for him? To say, God, you love me, and you are in control, and you could do anything, including heal me, including hold me in the palm of your hand in this life and in the life to come. And yet that was the trust statement he made. And so it was nothing but really a a joy to officiate his funeral and say, here is a man who trusted that God cares and that God is powerful. And for that reason, he could cast even cancer, even a shocking, violent death onto the arms of the creator, much like Peter was able to cast and write with joy and poise and an equilibrium unknown to any management technique in this world. A third basic belief, actually this is a basic skill for casting our anxiety on God, is something that is surprising to many of us. It's this idea of thanking God. I thank God for good before I ask for good. I want to explain why that matters. Um, You'll be familiar with uh, another letter in the New Testament written by a man named Paul to a church in a city called Philippi, Philippians 4, 6 says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, in every situation, by prayer and petition, that means asking for things, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. Now, why would Paul, also a man who knew suffering, say that thankfulness, gratitude to God needs to precede our asking stuff from God? Peter says it elsewhere. Why is gratitude, why is thank you God for the good things so important? I'll tell you why. If you cannot and do not thank God for the true, beautiful, breathtakingly amazing things in your life on a regular basis, you in effect don't believe he is the giver of good things. And it's easy to slip into. When good things happen to us, even though we would admit we had less to do with some of those good things than... than, uh, our prideful moments would suggest, over time, we start to take credit for those things. Yeah, my kid is cute. You kidding me? That's not because of me. That's because my wife. She's amazing looking. No, that's all, right? 
So yes, I have cute kids, but that's not anything that I brought to the table, really. Likewise, the good, beautiful, great things in this world, if I can't say thank you, God, for this four-month-old, for my two-year-old, for for my wife, for this home, for the breath in my lungs, this experience called life, for the ability to be a part of a new movement, a church plant like Restoration, thank you, God, for even the ability to wrestle with this stuff, to talk with you. If I can't cry out in true gratitude to God, I, in effect, don't believe he's the giver of good gifts. And then do you see how ridiculous it is for me in my moments of anxiety to say, God, I cast all this stuff on you. And oh, by the way, would you fix it? And would you cure me? And would you help me? And would you bring this stuff? Who are you talking to? Not an all-powerful, all-caring, all-competent God who gives all good things. Because you actually, in effect, don't believe that. You believe the good things in your life are a result of you or by chance. Man, I'm lucky. How many of us say that? I'm lucky. Luck? I don't know. Luck is mathematically unacceptable when you think about the conditions of life forming on Earth in our galaxy system. It's called, I'm the recipient of intentional, artistic, design, and blessing. And the good and the bad, I'm going to praise you, God, for. I'm going to trust you. Basic beliefs and skills for casting our anxiety on God. This is the last one. And this may be the hardest one because it requires some of the previous one, like prerequisites. I ask for God's best, knowing that my idea of best is quite limited. How many... Uh, Seven, eight-year-old kids do we have in here? Any of them? Good, I'm not going to offend too many people. Think back when you were eight or seven, seven or eight. I want to imagine for a moment that we're all that age. In fact, everyone on planet Earth is that age. And this caring God of ours gives us whatever we want. Anything we want, our eight-year-old planet, society of people running around, we get. Can you envision such a society? I mean, there would be some things that, to love about it, but I think anarchy would ensue very quickly. And I'm not picking on eight-year-olds because I've known some, some wise eight-year-olds, and if you're eight, think back when you were four, and if you're four, think when you're two. I mean, you know. And frankly, if you're 65, embarrassingly enough, you could probably think back when you were 35 and say, gosh, I wanted some things in life then that, I don't know, man, if I had a blank check on reality and all my petitions and anything I asked of God was just granted, I don't know. I think I'd take a mulligan on some of those asks. (laughs) Because now that I see this and that and this, and you're factoring in about eight variables that you didn't know then, now multiply that with six zeros times six zeros. All the variables of all the human beings on all the planet throughout human history bumping into each other, and, and we have this God of the universe... And he says, you get to ask for stuff. Okay. (laughs) Dear God, could I please have a Porsche and uh, a house with a screen porch because the bugs are bad this year and um, a lot of money and um, hair. I haven't had hair for a decade. Could I get that back? Um, You know, at some level, the stuff we ask for becomes kind of self-serving. Um, oh, and I definitely want to marry that person. 
Not that I really know anything about them, but I, I can imagine, you know, I've been single for a while, and I definitely need to live here because I like the climate, and I definitely don't want to do this, and I definitely need this. You see, there's a way that we would start to pray and ask for things in the moment and in the midst of anxiety. And if we were to not temper the request with this little line, God, your will be done, not mine, but yours. Our prayers have a way of turning out to be anxiety producers, not alleviators. Oh, God, I know I asked for that, and I know you gave it to me, but would you, get, would you take it away? Jesus knew the, the difference here when he walked and lived among us, God, flesh, walking among us. He said, I cannot imagine facing the cross here. I don't want to do this, Father, but your will, your perspective. You see, Jesus knew that from God's seat, from the seat of the Almighty, his outcomes are better than ours. We can factor in a few variables, six, eight, 16. We can't factor in six million, all moving at once over the course of human history, but there is one who can. And so when Paul wrote, and we know that all things work together for good to them who love God, to them who are called according to his purpose, he was writing that in light of facing all these calamities. He said, can, can nakedness, not having enough clothes or, or shelter, can that separate us from the love of God? Nope. Well, he was facing that struggle. Can sword, people who want to bring us to a violent end and make us hurt and suffer, can that separate us from the love and the reality of God? Nope, even though he was facing that. And he goes through this list in that, that, that chapter of Romans 8, all these different things that one would have to overcome, that he had to overcome. And he comes up with the conclusion each time, nothing can separate us from the love of God. It's like Paul says to you and to me, whatever you pictured in your mind that this brought you to this anxiety level when I asked that question at the beginning, that can't separate you from the love of God through Christ. Because God himself was willing to say, not my will when my will is limited and, and I, I'm poured out into a human form, but your will, the biggest perspective. Are you at a point, can I ask personally, where you can pray, God, your will be done in my life. I will accept whatever you send me. I'll go wherever you ask me to go. I am humbled that you, the God of the universe, love me enough that you want this relationship, that I can ask for things. I am sorry that I have made you so small in my eyes, that I have made you into a little action figure. You made the universe. I am humble. I'm sorry, God. You're so powerful. You're so big. I'm so small. But you love me, and so I thank you for every good thing I've ever seen in my life for every good experience or thing I will ever come across. And as a result, I bring you this request, this situation, this financial hardship, this relationship, this deep sense of lingering loneliness, this medical condition, this unknown, this frustrating search for truth, this deep and lingering guilt and regret. I bring it to you and I ask for, for, for this. I ask for what I have in mind would be the answer, but I temper it all saying, your will be done, not mine, because your outcomes are so much better than mine. I cannot mathematically factor in the right outcomes, but you can. 
My friends, when you get to that point, when you can do those four things, you can start to cast, not just manage your anxiety. And so in review, take out your airplane. And if you've written something, my whatever, on your airplane, that's great. If not, think of something mentally or write something real quick. And in review, if you can say, God, you care about me, make the first fold just like this. I know I have a table. It's not fair. You'll have to do it on your lap. Some of you guys who didn't pay attention in school will be great at this because you had practice, right? And if you can't say, God, you care about me, say, God, I, I don't know if you care about me, but would you show me? And make the fold anyways. I'm trying to believe. If you can say, God, you are in control of this universe, you are God and I am not, you are competent, you have not walked off the job, then make the second fold of the airplane. If you can look at anything in your life, any person in your life and say, that is truly good, thank you for that, God. And you can make the connection between that good, beautiful, breathtaking, wonderful thing in your life and the God of the universe, make the third fold. Thank you, God. And lastly, if you can lift up whatever you're going through, whatever's causing you anxiety... with the tempered statement, not my will be done, God, your will be done. I'd like to invite you to stand, if you can say that, and throw this paper airplane, trying not to hit someone in the eye. You can throw it at me, I'll turn, and we're, we're all going to throw it at the cross here. So, as you catch up here, when you're ready, just stand up. And I'll, I'll, I'll do the ready, aim, fire here so we all throw it once. All right. For those who have folded an airplane, for those who have carried in anxiety, for those who believe God is in control, that God loves us and cares about us, that he is competent and is willing to hear our requests, for those who can say, not my will, but your will be done, and because of the cross of Christ, can we now cast all of our cares and anxieties and fears on the cross? Ready, aim, cast. Amen. I'm going to call the band up here. Would you, um, as airplanes, some airplanes are still flying, would you uh, grab a hand next to you? I'd like to, to pray for us here. We're going to close in a few worship, worship songs. Let's pray. Dear Father, you're God and I am your child. We are your children. You really love us. And we have craved that love all of our lives. Your mercy, your justice is perfect, God. Right now, God, we confess we can only see a part of what you're doing. Yet you are the most capable being in the universe. And so we put our hope in you.
Thank you, God, for this experience called life. Thank you for the good and the beautiful and the true things that I have seen and experienced. Thank you for the gifts that we can identify from you, and thank you for the ones we can't even identify yet. God, thank you specifically for, and please just insert whatever you want to thank God for into this silence. Thank you for these good things that we confess in the quiet of our heart. They're a glimpse of what you are preparing for all who trust you enough to be remade into your image. God, this suffering in our world is so painful. Yet I know, yet we know it is not the last word. Specifically, God, we are troubled. I am troubled. I have anxiety about would you just tell God in the quiet of your heart whatever you have anxiety about? God, though we can't see how you will redeem the things we've mentioned, how you will bring glory out of them, purpose out of them, we do believe that you can. And we thank you that you are making every heartbreaking thing come untrue in your time. God, we cast our anxiety about these things into your strong hands. These concerns are so heavy and they're too heavy for us to manage and to carry. As we think about the possible outcomes and we sometimes feel crushed, we acknowledge that your outcomes are beautiful. They're perfect, even when they're not anticipated and never fully seen. So God, we ask for your direction, for your intervention. We pray for your best outcome accomplished through our obedience. Speak to us this week, Lord, through your scriptures as we read them. Speak to us this week through people, God, as we love them. Give us ears to hear and the courage to obey your voice. And protect us, Lord, from every kind of evil. God, we will go where you send us. We will accept what you bring us. And because Christ died for us, we will overcome with you as your spirit reigns and lives within us in this life and in the life to come. In Jesus' name.